0: Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Cactus Razi, author of Price. In this episode, we talked about what drove Cactus to write price, his theory on should pricing be personalized to individual customers, and the different building blocks to create a more personalized pricing approach. We also discussed the starting point of the pricing conversation within a company, why pricing is often a guesstimation, and why that's a problem. Lastly, Cactus shares different ways to drive expansion revenue from existing customers by rewarding loyalty. And here's today's episode. Hey, Cactus, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you today. For the listeners, uh, Cactus is a partner at Exos, a platform designed to deliver all the services of a traditional investment bank, reimagined and tailored to a modern digital world, all integrated into a powerful model technology platform driven by data and data science. He's also the author of Price, where he challenges outdated pricing methods and sets up a framework for companies to be in harnessing the power of modern analytics to create personalized pricing for customers. The end result pricing innovation converts one time transactions into recurring revenue through customer loyalty. So, my first question for you, Cactus, is what drove you to write Price? And what was the unique insight you believe you had?
1: I'll answer that sequentially. What drove me to write prices is is a combination of what I was doing in my day job. At the time, I had started a a startup that was focused on using analytics to price bonds. And this this was something new in 2015, 2016, and 17, where uh, the application of data analytics to price bonds, which is the the industry that I'm uh, an expert in. And at the same time, I started to think about the marketing notes that I was receiving, the, my pricing experiences, both at, in hospitality and travel, because I was doing a lot of traveling. I had friends in the restaurant industry. My mom's a hairstylist. And I really started to think more and more about price. And I started to read books about pricing theory. And although I by no means am representing that I'm necessarily an expert on pricing theory, I found that the perspectives in most of the books... I would call it a pre-data analytics revolution type of a perspective. And what I mean by that is even a small business can now use customer data. Who are they selling to? Who's coming back on a recurring basis to start to be thoughtful and think about whether every customer should get the same price. And so the book is really a point of departure. It's It's intended to be a conversation starter within a company, anything from a sole proprietorship to a multinational corporation. Around A, should we be rethinking how we price? B, should our prices be personalized to our individual customers? And if so, C, which segment of our customer base do we want to favor or do we want to start to generate greater levels of loyalty through pricing? And essentially, then that pushes you towards the holy grail, which I I think most people, certainly on this show and in general, would agree the degree to which you can turn your revenue into a recurring revenue stream is the degree to which you're going to grow your enterprise value. And so this idea that, look, some of our customers are going to be episodic and and they're useful to our business, but the the core customer is one who is inclined to come back, uh, return to our company or do business on a repeated basis. And we should be recognizing these customers and rewarding them in a, it through price. You and I both know that there are loyalty schemes out there. And there's all sorts of various ways that you try to uh, give a premium to your better customer. But my argument is that in this day and age, giving them a, a unique price is something worth discussing. I think it's better. You can argue it may or may not be better, but I think it needs to be discussed.
0: Yeah, I love the the concept in not in practice, but in like theory, in the sense that uh, I personally believe as well. Like, uh, when you're looking at software as service and and business in general, I think far often than not we treat prices like this fixed component of our business. And uh, people are very scared to experiment and to change it and in my personal opinion, I think pricing is just as so much a part of your product as the features that go into it and like having that mindset in an organization allows you the freedom and flexibility to move things around. I think typically uh, consumers minds like people tend to be very like sensitive when it comes to price changes and price updates. I'm interested as well because this idea of being able to provide a like a unique price to individual customers, Something to my mind while you were saying that would just be like, how would you know then in terms of what preferential treatment looked like? How would you know what the price is that you're getting is right? In practice, from a data analytics perspective, I think it sounds like doable and it makes sense. But from maybe more psychological perspective, because a lot of like pricing and packaging work, I know, comes from more the psychological side of things. It comes from more like interviewing panelists. What would you pay for using different uh, types of studies uh, on that side? But on the flip side is once you've actually got the pricing strategies you're going to play, like this is something that you
1: touch on in your book. We don't touch necessarily on psychology. What we talk about in the book is, look, if you're thinking about moving in the direction of personalized pricing, what are the building blocks of getting there? So we talk a bit about what data to store, how to store it. And then what we avoid is um, getting too prescriptive only because the answers are different depending on the industry that you might be in and the scale of your business. The psychology of pricing is an interesting point of departure here because it's not clear to me that there is necessarily a, a conclusion on this point. I think a lot of it has to do with the interaction of pricing, individual, and product, which is to say it's not clear to me that a luxury good that's discounted uh, is necess- necessarily a, a good outcome for the consumer, for example, as one obvious example. So w- we haven't really gotten into the psychology component of it. But I do believe that in general, the loyal customer, and loyal is, of course, a continuum. You're, 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 when you make a second purchase, you're more loyal than someone who's only made one purchase. Right? Of course, it's a continuum. But the loyal customer, I believe, always appreciates a recognition of their loyalty. So that next question becomes, how do we do? If you go to your neighborhood restaurant regularly, maybe you get a free dessert as an example, and and we could use many illustrations, the, the points on a Starbucks app. And there's a lot of these real world illustrations in the book. I am of the opinion that if you've already come to the conclusion that you want to reward loyalty, then doing so via price is a conversation that needs to be had. Yep. And, this, and this does con- connect with the subscription economy as well. There's nothing specific to the subscription economy in the book, but I think conceptually what you're trying to do in a subscription economy is as you maximize your customer base and minimize your churn. And, and thinking about how to do that, moving beyond this idea that I'm selling a product to 100,000 or 500,000 customers and start to think about 500, not necessarily 500,000, but multiple customer personas. And who or what may respond best to certain price modifications? How would we start to do this? It doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have 500,000 customer profiles if that's how many customers you have. But as an obvious illustration of the path that a company could go along is to say, look, um, we've done some research and based on age, there's actually a high level of price sensitivity in the under 30 category. That's an important growth category for us. And we're gonna we're gonna treat them a little bit differently. We're gonna give that segment of our customer base an option of buying, for example, six months upfront at a significant discount. Yeah, and it's, that's not exactly personalized, but it's start it, it's heading in that direction. It's it's in that segmented. Direction.
0: Yeah, I see where you're going with it because typically, as well in studies, when you do if you're using the Van Westendorp study and trying to understand sort of price sensitivity in the market, you would generally start with segments like that. You would try to see, okay, are there any specific roles? Are there any specific demographics where we see price sensitivity increase or decrease depending on the value they're extracting? One of the areas I think is also interesting is uh, look another way to look at it as well in terms of pricing itself and giving like personalized pricing is actually on the usage side. And some businesses have slowly started to do this where you have variable pricing. So I think Slack in like the B2B SaaS is an interesting example where they basically charge on active seats. So typically like in when you pay per seat, you would just Purchase a number of seats and pay. Slack actually took the inverse and said, "Okay, you can actually pay for the number of people using the product, not for how many seats you have." So if people aren't using our product, you're not paying for it. I think this is like things like this can be really interesting and unique, and also add customizability. But then some of the things you mentioned as well, I think like putting a discount on high luxury good can actually have a negative impact on the brand. If it's perceived to be giving out discounts, you have that component. I'm interested now, let's say, let's imagine somebody decides, okay, yes, they want to go down this path. They want to see, okay, like how can I start offering a more personalized approach to pricing and staying away from things like discounts or coupons? Like, what are some of the things you're seeing people in the market doing? How are they going about it? How are they using data to uh, make these
1: decisions? Well, it's interesting you ask that. I I have been reading pretty carefully on these concepts of personalized pricing. I try to stay on top of it. And I, I believe we're still in the relatively very early stages of these conversations. I have seen some commentary out of restaurateurs that the, I'm using these as illustrative examples. But the concept of paying the same uh, for a meal, regardless of what time of day, what time of the evening, if you will, or what day of the week, and also regardless of the customer, whether they're a first timer or a regular, if you will, that that doesn't make any sense. And of course, it begs the question, Well, how do you implement some personalized pricing in the restaurant industry? And that we touch upon that briefly in the book, but it's definitely a conversation that I think uh, needs to be had. In addition to that, I think uh, the actual steps very clearly start with who are your customers. And I find that So often, again, going back to the restaurant example, most restaurants don't keep a a customer log. Now that's changing slowly, but surely with the integration of your point of sale system with your reservation system. But first and foremost is who are our customers and who are we selling to? This can be done by most businesses. If your business does not have a meaningful repeat customer base, arguably we could use maybe some fast food type businesses or other things that are highly episodic, then perhaps this doesn't apply. But most businesses uh, need to start to understand who specifically their customer is. Could be through uh, traditional data collection of reservation systems, could be through an app, could be through e-commerce, any mechanism by which you learn a bit more about your customer. Even traditional brick and mortar retail often asks you to input your phone number. And from there, there's plenty of of third-party marketing databases where you can figure out um, who this customer is. That would be the first step. And the second step would be to take this information and be thoughtful around what behaviors are you observing that are consistent with that which you hope to see. And again, this will be specific to a business, but it could be around average sale price. It could be, for example, around the purchase of wine uh, with, with meals, a lot of different components, but whatever you believe is optimal for your business or that whatever you're striving for recognize the segment of your overall customer base that is most well aligned with that which you would love to see. And use that as the starting point
0: yeah can i jump in there as well And i think just to draw some analogies as well to like b2b SaaS or to to thing i think in this concept as well what it sounds like you're saying to me as well is look at the behaviors that you hope to encourage within your product so typically like you want to see good engagement you want to see people using maybe specific features like this it could be an interesting concept then as well as like rewarding people based on price based on engagement because ultimately that the more people use your product or service the more likely they are to retain, and the more likely they are to think. So, it's interesting that that's actually something we discussed in an early episode as well with Jenna Basto from ProdPad, where they gamified their onboarding experience, where they initially had like a free trial for 15 days. They shortened it to seven, and then they gave you extra days on the trial depending on the actions you took in the app. So, encouraging like good behavior, so you can maximize your product. But the same principles can be applied to pricing in the sense that, like, you actually get rewarded from being a more active user and more engaged within the product. So, sorry, you can continue. but I just wanted to draw no, like. I agree with
1: that 100%. In fact, I'm glad you bring that up because if you're, if you know, the audience is thinking to themselves, "Oh, goodness, I'm going to have someone sit down at a dinner table, or sit down in my hairstylist chair, or jump on an airplane, and I, I happen to run an airline, and I'm now I'm going to hit them with 25 questions: your age, your gender, your your income, your education level." Absolutely, I don't believe that's going to be particularly fruitful. Gamification, engagement, these are smart ways of doing it. I don't find that overall the the marketing and data acquisition efforts in the broader marketplace are particularly sophisticated. So often the marketing effort is a blank blanket email. For example, everyone who's shopped at Diane von Furstenberg receives the same email that says a whole bunch of clothes are now 40% off. That to me is not a value enhancing nor is it a particularly sophisticated way of going about connecting with your customer so gamification is a great way of doing episodic engagement Uh, these days you do have the mobile phone number of many of your customers and again asking a simple question and then i've seen this a little bit where you get one question and they leave you alone maybe two weeks later you might get a different question and these are really interesting bits and pieces of information they also by the way allow a lot of cross-marketing you ask people how often they go to see you after COVID is over and the pandemic is over. For example, how often do you do activity X? And uh, then it allows a lot of uh, really interesting cross-marketing and you learn a lot more about your customer and it allow- it allows you to segment them and then personalize prices
0: absolutely i think in like the software space we are fortunate that we do have quite a bit more data at hand so probably step one in the process you mentioned now doesn't apply too much to these businesses because at sign up generally you're asking for the name their role their company so we do tend to pick up a lot of things but i think as well like having a little bit deeper level like what is the use case that you're trying to achieve with our product what are you trying to achieve like these sorts of elements all add to that and again i'm going to keep trying to like bring analogies into to our space to see how it can be applicable but I really like this idea of not only like having uh, variable pricing, but rewarding customers with better prices based on uh, their activity. So I think even to give you uh, another sort of side of things, I think when companies start to think about increasing prices, like a typical process that happens is they grandfather, their existing customers into the old price, and uh, they start charging new customers for the new updated price. So in a way, this is almost a way of like rewarding loyalty because essentially your older customers are getting that better price, the older price, but then you don't have a way to drive new monetization with your existing customers. Customer base. So it almost feels like a happy medium is really trying to, like, always be working on the pricing, but then seeing, okay, how can you reward people in their price that they pay you based on how they're using or not using the product, essentially. Yep.
1: Yep, that's exactly right. Very that's nice. exactly
0: right. So... Next step then as well, like we have some data points, uh, we're taking it a step further now as well. We have a little bit of better understanding of who these customers are. We're starting to think about the different strategies, like how do you go about implementing this then within an organization? Like how do you go about from like a communications perspective? I think these are some of the gray areas. I think it gets a little bit more complicated as well. Yeah. From a legal standpoint, even just like your price is your price. And if it's always changing, what does that mean for contracts? and? which is probably different in the B2C space, but-
1: Well, it's interesting. Uh, One thing I wanted to say, I'm gonna come back to your question about how to implement because I think that's a really important question. And of course, as the deeper and more detailed you get, the more specific to the the company, it starts to become obviously, particularly if you introduce regulatory. But one thing I wanted to say about SaaS is there's a number of SaaS companies that are out there providing business support software of many different sorts. There's CRM systems, obviously. There are e-commerce systems. We could use Shopify as an example. And so some of what we are all talking about uh, should likely fall on the shoulders of the software provider, if you will. These are are tools that really should be offered by the providers who are supporting other elements of your business. And I think this is an interesting side note. For example, in hospitality, there is the dominant hospitality booking system gives you the ability to sign up to some sort of a, what I would refer to as a price comparison element. And you are able to choose the five hotels within your geographic area that you would like to benchmark yourself against. And this is an opt-in sort of system. So as long as you opt in, you pick the five and you may be one of some other people's five. And then the system gives you a sense of what the other hotels are charging for like rooms, like similar category rooms. And so it's this idea that we can get a localized price comparison against our competitors and allow us to then power our own pricing algorithms. The problem with that is it totally divorces the price from the customer. And so as a customer, your experience is, well, I've stayed at this hotel now for example, six times, this will be my seventh visit, and I have a totally undifferentiated experience against four other hotels in the area. They all seem to be the same price. How does that make any sense from the perspective of the hospitality provider? So part of what I'm bringing up here is really around the starting point of the pricing conversation. It does fall on the shoulders of the business owner, but I believe that this is also an element that, that software of record providers or operate the providers of operational software should also be thinking about.
0: For sure. I think, though, just going back as well, like on competitor pricing, like if that's what you're setting your baseline, like you're setting yourself up for failure to begin with, if that's how you price your product, I think it should never be on like, what is other people in the market charging, but more what is the value? What is the main value metric they're getting out of your service? So figuring that out. And figuring that's out 100%. The you are
1: exactly right. And particularly, what's particularly galling about it is that if you think about you using hospitality as an example, and hospitality is anything from restaurants to hotels and God knows what else. But you typically, if, if this customer has um, stayed with you before, or dined with you before, or in, in some way engaged your service, you have knowledge about this customer that others don't. You could be a hairstylist, you could be a lot of things. And so what we're arguing is use that knowledge to your advantage through the mechanism of price. You may know what they like or perhaps what they don't like, and, and you may be able to offer these things in, in some differentiated way.
0: Yeah. A lot of what you're saying as well sounds like rewarding loyalty. I think at the end of the day, like it's like, how do we reward loyalty through an efficient pricing plan? That's not like a blanket spray all and everybody gets the same deal, but really honing in, understanding who these customers are and what can we do to provide them like better deals to make sure that they come back for the next purchase and then also feel in the sense that they're appreciated from the brand, from the company because of this loyalty. I think in SaaS, this is a little bit different in the sense that people typically purchase your product with the recurring nature in mind, with that sort of loyalty in mind, like you're solving a problem for them, that problem you have every single month, you're looking to solve that problem every month, where a lot of what you're saying as well as like from the restaurant side, from the hotel side, like these are things that you don't necessarily have to do every month, you might do them every month, but you don't have to do them. So you the incentive to incentivize there is much stronger, I think, but I do like some of the concepts you're talking about from a B2B perspective, or what you can be applying into the nature of the business. Yes, you're rewarding loyalty, but at the same time as well, you're taking a little more hands-on approach to how you price and package your product. You're treating it more as a variable entity rather than a fixed entity that's uh, there to make sure that you're improving your product as a whole. So you're just making a part of your product better by making it more personalized and customizable. So. Interesting. Through like the research in this book that you've been doing now as well, what's been one of the things that's maybe surprised you the most when it came to pricing in general, like how people view their pricing and how they put together act? What's something that you just looked at as this can't be right? Do people really think like this or? Uh...
1: The, the degree to which pricing, regardless of the size of the industry, tends to be really a guesstimation or some sort of a rote process multiple of input costs or some other, how should we do it and to pick a price? And I, I would argue with you that a lot of subscription-based, now you, you could push back on this, but I would argue to you that a lot of subscription-based companies have also done something where product experts, domain experts sit around and think to themselves, what do we think we can get away with charging? And there's a little bit of a debate and that becomes the price. It's a heuristic approach. To I think that's really
0: 95% of businesses, like 95% of SaaS starts out like that. There's three people in the room. We've got a product. What should we charge for it? Oh, that sounds reasonable. Let's do it. Let's yeah. do it.
1: And I experienced this in the corporate boardroom. I've been on the management committee of a number of financial services companies. And so it. I was surprised by the approach at the corporate boardroom level. I'm not surprised at that approach at the sort of sole proprietorship level, but across the board, it the approach to pricing tends to be really underwhelming and unsophisticated. And this is particularly true of companies, as you mentioned, that pour huge amounts of time and energy and effort into product. And then that becomes the dog and the tail is pricing. I'm not suggesting that, the, that it should be the other way around, obviously, but I'm suggesting yeah. that not only is the question around pricing under sort of underconsidered. considered but I would argue it's not considered necessarily in the right way. If the question is what should we charge, then the answer is probably gonna be a price. And I believe that that might be in some cases, perhaps in many cases, the wrong starting point of the conversation. Imagine a conversation that says, how many prices should we have? Or something along the lines of who do we expect? What do we expect the breadth of our customer base to be? And how many prices should we have given the answer to that question? In a perfect world, you would have a data profile for every single customer. And arguably you could, this sounds a little ridiculous, but you could potentially have a a separate price for each customer. I'm not necessarily advocating for that level of granularity. I'm not sure there's a marginal benefit to that high a level of granularity. I am certainly advocating for the starting point of the conversation, which is multiple prices.
0: Yep. Uh, And you're right. I think that's generally not something that is discussed. I think specifically early on, like you just need to get it out. You want to start charging. And I think, companies really start to realize the impact and how important pricing is when they start to look at that next lever of growth. And it ends up becoming one of the biggest levers that you can pull if you nail an effective pricing and packaging strategy, because ultimately, especially in a a recurring revenue business, like those impacts are compounding. Uh, If you're able to correctly price your product, increase like RPO or ASP for your customer, that's every single month after and every new customer after that. So It really has a huge impact uh, on the overall growth. And it's like, it's a step change. If you're able to nail a a solid pricing and packaging strategy, like that effectively also encourages expansion, you can do so. I'm interested in that concept though, as well, in terms of expansion. So I mentioned like a lot of the ideas around, around rewarding loyalty and recurring payments, but then... How do you see this sort of falling into ways of driving new revenue streams and driving expansion revenue from existing customers? They might have, in a restaurant example, they might have always come to you and spent 20 euros uh, thing. Like, how can you now have these new pricing packaging strategies that enable them to come maybe the next time to spend 30? But they might still be being rewarded for their loyalty, but at the same time now, you've driven them to new features within your restaurant or with uh, yeah. new use cases.
1: I think that's a great question. And it's true that this idea of differentiated pricing so often does imply some form of a discount for your better customer. And the pushback on that would obviously be, hey, a lot of times our better customers don't necessarily need a discount and it may not even be particularly effective. There are, certainly there's other elements of the customer experience that could be included as part of this. As an example, a premium seat. At the same price as a regular seat is a way of giving someone rather than addressing price by discounting the regular seat, what you're saying is you're actually getting something better. And so you're not, that would not be a revenue enhancing example. The revenue enhancing example would be you're getting a premium seat and you're going to pay more than you would have in a regular seat, but perhaps a differentiated price from someone that we've never done business before for that premium seat. That would be an an example. As a sole proprietorship, you would be thinking about tacking on additional goods or services at a differentiated price for the customer that's already shown you loyalty at that lower level of spend. Another example would be using your marketing effort to make your satisfied customers aware that there are other goods or services that you also offer and giving them, again, a unique price towards those goods or services. And you might say, how do you know if a customer is uh, satisfied? And the answer is because they're already a customer of yours on some form of a repeat basis. Even a second purchase is a strong indication of some level of satisfaction. Right now, there's a uh, breakfast supplement, meal supplement company called Cachava. I I have nothing to do with them and I'm not advertising for them, but I happen to have picked them up recently. A couple of months ago, I tried it and it's a recurring revenue business. So why not use it as an example? I've now resubscribed to Cachava three or four times. I'm not complaining that they haven't given me a unique price. What I am saying is I've clearly demonstrated I like their product. I'm a perfect customer for them to say, hey, by the way, if you like this product, we are now offering some additional products, even if those additional products are a joint venture with some other company, could be um, vitamins, it could be anything you think about, and we're going to give you a premium of some sort, a differentiated pricing experience of some sort to then expand into these additional products. You've already shown that you like our current product because you continue to repurchase it and reuse it. We've also, by the way, we've also suggested it to some of the people, some neighbors nearby, and they're now customers as well. So there you know, there are the a variety of, of ways to, yep. to contemplate how to get this ecosystem going, how to capture that data, and then how to then reward the customer.
0: Yeah. And then you say this sort of, the ability for this to scale, you need to have providers that are supplying these uh, types of services to you so you're aware of what's happening. In terms of, like you mentioned, like the, in the restaurant industry where you have the it was the payment process or the booking engine, they need to be the ones who are letting you know about the customers. So like in B2B SaaS, it might be your CRM or it might be an analytics product that's raising awareness to how you would then go price and package. And then ultimately, I think you would need then on the back end of that would be like your billing uh, infrastructure to be talking to these systems to know, okay, uh, this customer has done XYZ. This is the new price they need to be presented with. Or this is the new promotion they need to be given. And because I think in practice, it sounds interesting, but automating this at scale can then also get pretty complex pretty fast, I think, to basically, but obviously- You raise, a,
1: you, you raise an interesting point. And uh, there's a couple of things that are moving in, in our direction. The first one is that mobile commerce in general was definitely a growth category. So with that, you have uh, huge amounts of data, obviously, at your fingertips around what these customers are actually doing. And one of the challenges that brick and mortar stores are having is your, is that they're getting real-time price comparisons and real-time price challenges in store so you're looking at an item and then you have a a little software device that tells you exactly where you can buy it at the lowest possible price and that that this concept is addressed in the book and then with the pandemic we've gotten a big shift to away from what i would call analog pricing in general restaurant menus as you are so often now uh, they come up on your phone And I believe that this sort of shift to mobile slash electronic engagement, partially just that was a natural social phenomenon that was taking place and now being accelerated by the pandemic is a wonderful opportunity to then move forward with some of the things you're mentioning. As an example, the the booking engines of Resi and and OpenTable and some of these other things. Again, this is a conversation that I think they they have a huge amount of this data and information. How should they be making it available for their restaurant customer? I don't only mean the diner, the actual the operator of the restaurant.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I'm pretty sure they probably are thinking about a lot of these things. As
1: an operator of a restaurant, if you had a reservation from someone who's been to your restaurant six times over the last six months, as an example, and then a new person, wouldn't it be nice to know that the new person has on five of the last six occasions spent over $70 on a bottle of wine with their meal? Because that will allow you to do various things for that customer and differentiate them in some way. And one last point I'd really like to make, and I think this is an important one. Sometimes people push back on me by saying, hey, this is really a, a mechanism to reward the rich. And in certain instances, that's true. If you happen to be Hermes or Cartier, you are almost by definition catering to rich people. But actually, that's not necessarily true across the board. You're really catering to loyal people. And even those of us, myself included, who are lower down on the income spectrum, I have certain places that I go to and certain services that I use more consistently, and that's where I would like to be, that's where I would like to be recognized. And I think that's an important differentiation here. It's not as if we're running an auction, and it's wherever you can get the highest price at any one moment, and that simply is the the pricing process. That's not the case at all. It's really around understanding your customer, rewarding the loyal customer.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think there's definitely a lot of ideas that this is this conversation has brought into my mind to think about. I think, again, like from B2B SaaS space, the rewarding loyalty is slightly different because you already have that recurring purchase nature. But there are areas where you can definitely add innovation in towards our customized pricing to increase further loyalty and engagement, uh, maybe uh, not necessarily just by discounting, but finding unique and interesting ways to provide tailored plans that actually keep customers around for longer
1: yeah there's a fair amount of work done in churn as you know about predicting churn that's that was one of the early applications of data analytics and some of my professors at NYU were actually pioneers in that field so to bring these two things together to the degree that you're able to predict churn is the degree that you're able to then go to your customer that is an existing customer and say great news we're going to unilaterally give you a, a unique price for the next six months yeah so long as you for example contract with us to addition for an additional six months. So there's a lot of ways of using price uh, to preempt churn as well. Absolutely.
0: I see we're running up on time. I'm going to ask you a, thing, a question i ask every guest that joins the show. Like obviously we chat at the beginning of the, the, the show that the book's not necessarily around subscription business and so forth, but let's imagine anyway, a hypothetical scenario now. You get a new job at a company, you arrive at the company, churn and retention is not doing great. And the CEO comes to you and says, hey, Cactus, like you need to turn things around. You have 90 days. What are you going to do with your time?
1: My first question would be, what do we know about our customers? That would be my first question. And my assumption is that we know a lot about them. Let's just make the assumption that there's ample amounts of data. My next question would be, how are are we using this customer information? In in what way are we using it to try and address the churn problem? My assumption is also that there's going to be a fairly robust effort to use this information around uh, churn in some mechanism. My, My assumption is going to be that, best practices thus far have been maintained, and yet there exists a churn problem. My next question would be, if we're having a churn problem, is it a question around product and the competitive set around our product? Do we in fact have an inferior product? Or is there some other problem? Why are we experiencing problematic levels of churn in our industry? And that would be my next question. If it comes to pass that our product seems to be from a competitive standpoint in the mix, and yet we're suffering a churn problem, then I would then at that point start to advocate around how have we priced it and have we correctly segmented our customers to price appropriately and reduce churn.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. And obviously, like pricing has a huge impact on churn retention, like indirectly without realizing, like, you setting the tone by setting the wrong price to begin with can have a, a big impact on that. Let's last question then. Again, something I ask everyone, but what's something that you know today about churn retention that you wish you knew maybe when you got started uh, in your career?
1: Probably that a certain level of churn is, is par for the course, that there's no such, I wouldn't say there's no such thing, but that the goal of 100% retention is lofty, but not achievable for most companies. The reasons for the departure of a customer are so diverse that, and frankly, much of the time out, out of your own control, and it's important to recognize that as you think about your churn numbers.
0: Absolutely. I think having that idea of what's involuntary versus voluntary like really allows you then to set your strategy on what you can actually fix versus you can't. Because if you're arbitrarily setting like a goal of 100% customer retention, it's it's almost impossible. There's just so many reasons. I think That's this is right. something we chat about with Emmerich Erno in one of our episodes early on was they did an interesting exercise of seeing, okay, they in an exit survey. They looked at uh, the reasons for churn. They said, okay, these are the reasons we can control. These are they can't. This is the percentage that they make up of our current churn rate. And then they went and reevaluated what the target there would be of the churn that they could actually fix versus that that was out of their control and said, okay, this is what we're shooting for. So giving the team a much better idea of the impact that they can have and really like the setting a lot more realistic goals. It's not just like, yeah. let's reduce it by 20%. Is that even possible with the... Exactly, tra- uh, exactly exactly cool uh case has been a pleasure speaking to you today is there any final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with like anything they should be aware of Uh, obviously we'll have uh references to the book in the show notes for them to uh have a listen but anything else you want to any final thoughts
1: just is regardless of the company you work at or whether you have are running your own company is your approach to pricing consistent with the outcomes you're looking to achieve
0: Awesome. Yeah. And uh, definitely something to think about specifically in our space it can have a monumental impact on your business. Uh, So thanks so much uh, for joining us today. And I wish you best of luck now with the launch and
1: 2021. Thank you very much. Thank you. Best of luck to you as well. Appreciate it. Cheers. Bye-bye.
0: And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you.